I invite you to, in your Bibles, go to Mark chapter 1. Go to the middle Bible, take your right. It's the second of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, we're going to, in, in our study through this, this Gospel of Mark, um, I just want to teach through it and bring out some things that, uh, that I feel like the Holy Spirit's impressing upon me as we go through it. The, the Gospel of Mark was written uh, three primary purposes. One of them is what we call catechetical, which means to preserve the Apostles' uh, tradition and the tradition of the apostles as they understood God. Um, the second purpose was pastoral. Uh, the purpose of Mark is to uh, call the church to persevere and to not give up and to grow weary and faint. The third purpose is theological, and it was written to correct false or inadequate te teachings of Jesus. At, at the heart of the, uh, of the gospel of Mark is the activity and action of God. Mark uh, presents the least of Jesus' teaching of the four Gospels. I think, I think there's two instances when Mark records what Jesus taught, and that's it. The other Gospels, much more so. Uh, Mark focuses on the actions uh, and the activity of Jesus, because Mark believes, uh, and the reason for his writing, is that actions authenticate authority. And so as, as Mark reveals the action of Jesus, the action of Jesus authenticates the authority of Jesus. And so Mark jumps right into the actions of, of what Jesus did. And so we're going to jump right into it as well. The big idea for this morning, I want you to understand, is that the Holy Spirit comes upon God's people so they have authority to do. Uh, that's what happens in the book of Mark with Jesus. And, uh, and Jesus says uh, that we will function and live and work like him. And so when the Holy Spirit comes upon God's people, it's for the purpose for them to have authority to do God's stuff in the world. And so I want to jump into Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 9. I think we made it through eight verses last week. Uh, we got 16 chapters to go through, so I'm not sure how long this series is going to take. Uh, but in chapter, or chapter 1, verse 9, this is what the Bible says. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As he, as, just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open, the Spirit descending on him like a dove, a vo and a voice uh, came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him, Jesus, out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended to him. I want to talk a little bit, because it's right up front here in the book of Mark, about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was already in Jesus at his baptism. It came upon him. For a Christ follower, for those who have a relationship with Jesus through faith, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in that person at the point of salvation. There's many verses I could look at and show you, but among them is Ephesians 1 verse 13. It says this, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked with him a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. When you believed, you were marked with the seal of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was within you. Those Christ followers who have believed in Jesus have been sealed with the Holy Spirit when they believed for salvation. Everyone who has a relationship with Jesus through faith is sealed, according to the Bible, with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is within them. Now, Here's what I want to teach. The Holy Spirit is in a person for salvation, 
but the Holy Spirit comes upon a person for a different purpose. The Holy Spirit was already in Jesus, but the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus at his baptism for this purpose, for the authority of ministry. Jesus only started doing miracles after the Holy Spirit had come upon him, though it was already within him. As with the disciples and the apostles, they had been sealed with the Spirit because of the relationship and their belief and faith in Jesus. But they were told, even though they had the Spirit in them as Christ followers, they were told in Luke 24, verse 49, Jesus said, I'm going to send, this is after the resurrection, he said, I'm going to send you uh, what my Father has promised. But stay in the city, stay in Jerusalem, until you've been clothed with power on high. They were to wait, though they had the Spirit within them by faith, they were to wait for power to come upon them. And that power came upon them when the Holy Spirit at Pentecost came upon them, as the Bible says in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit because it had come upon them and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, let me tell you and explain this part. The Spirit was in them for salvation. At Pentecost, the Spirit came upon them for the purpose of ministry. And then the Holy Spirit sent them out to minister and the context of their ministry after the Spirit came upon them was speaking in tongues. Now, let me explain this. Some people believe that the speaking in tongues, have any of you ever heard that, speaking in tongues? Any of you? A few of you? Some people believe, and there's a teaching out there in the church, that that's just this weird language that nobody can understand that comes direct from God's throne, and it's some unknown human language, and it's God's language. That's what they believe. That's not in the Bible. I just want to teach the Bible. So when the, when the Bible says here that the Holy Spirit came upon them, and then the, the, what it says next is that they were sent out in ministry and they spoke in tongues. But notice, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard his own language being spoken, the known languages of the world around them. Utterly amazed, they asked what the heck is going on? I mean, they said it in a Bible way. <laughs> said, aren't all these people, aren't they Galileans? How is it that we each of us hear in our own language, native language, Parthians, Medes, and all these other people? Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. The gift of tongues was speaking in known languages that they hadn't learned yet. I want you to understand this, that when the Holy Spirit comes upon a person, the Holy Spirit does that, God allows that for the purpose of ministry. Please understand that for a Christ follower, the Holy Spirit is within us for salvation. And there are times and moments when the Holy Spirit comes upon us and when the Holy Spirit comes upon God's people so that they will have authority to do. I see in Jesus at his baptism, 
He was immediately sent out into the wilderness to go through a time of testing and temptation. Then he began to do in ministry. I say it with the disciples. The Holy Spirit came upon them, and they were given the authority to then do, in this case, speak in tongues, not some babble, but known languages that they had. It would be like the Holy Spirit coming upon one of us and and us starting to speak the gospel in Russian if we hadn't learned Russian. Do you understand? Note this. When the Holy Spirit comes upon, the Holy Spirit sends out. That's the way I see in the Bible. The Holy Spirit comes in a person for salvation, but the Holy Spirit comes upon a person for ministry, to minister with authority. Jesus is the one who said, how many of you evil fathers know how to give good gifts? And if you're an evil dad and know how to give good gifts, how much more would the Heavenly Father give you the gift of the Holy Spirit? And when you have the gift of the Holy Spirit, you will do more things than what I've done. So the Holy Spirit, though he may be within us for salvation, at times comes upon us for ministry. So the question is, how do you know when the Holy Spirit is upon? Because here's the thing, you're not going to feel something different necessarily. It's not some heebie-jeebie like, Holy Ghost, feel it. It, it. It's not done work like that. You know the Holy Spirit has come upon a Christ follower when that Christ has the authority to do. See, authority means dominion and permission. Ability means action. And so when the Holy Spirit comes upon a person, they have dominion to exercise ability. That's the purpose of it. Now, here's the weird thing about the ability to do. When Christ followers, though we've already been indwelt with the Holy Spirit, have the Holy Spirit come upon us, here's the weird thing. You know you have the ability to do only after you have attempted to do. Do you understand this? You know you have the ability to do after you have attempted to do. And, and this is why it's so, so contrary to so many people who have access to the Holy Spirit. Because most people who are Christ followers wait for a feeling, wait for confirmation, wait for God to do something, and then they jump in. But the only way you know the Spirit has come upon you is that you have the ability to do, but the only way you don't have the ability to do is that you do, without the feeling. See, here's the thing. For a Christ follower, the Holy Spirit does not come upon a person to make them feel anything. The Holy Spirit comes upon a person so they can do many things. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. That's what I see in the Bible. So I see in Mark 1. So I see with Jesus. So I see with the disciples. And God doesn't want to change his mode of operation. So one of the things, as I look through the book of Mark, one of the things that, that and this is, this is just me. When I, when I look at the Bible, I'm forced to ask myself this question. Am am I doing life and am I doing faith the Bible way? 
I'm not talking about being good. I'm not talking about trying not to do bad things anymore. I'm not talking about that. You, you can be good and not do bad things without Jesus. Matter of fact, there's a lot of people that have no idea who Jesus is who are really good people and better people than some people who do know who Jesus is. And this is why I hesitate teach, just straight teaching Bible. And I shouldn't. Because if I teach this, like I think, I think a lot of us get really good at doing church. I don't know that we get real authentic with doing Bible. Because so many of us has reduced doing Bible to being good. But when I look at this, I think, what? Like the people here, they, they live different. Not just like wearing sandals and eating bugs. I mean, like they had, it was just a different experience of God. And if God hasn't changed, who has? This whole idea about the spirit in and the spirit upon, we got to get this right. As I go through Mark and just look at what the Bible says, verse 21 through 28, they went to Capernaum. This is after Jesus was baptized and, and sent out. The Holy Spirit comes upon and sent out. Then they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus said, be quiet and come out of him. And the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all amazed that they, they were so amazed that they asked each other, what in the world? Did you see that? What is going on? Is this a new teaching? And with authority, they couldn't believe their eyes, nor their ears. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. And news about Jesus spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Now, when the Bible says a teacher of the law, that is a scribe. And scribes and teachers of the law in biblical times had no authority to make judgments or to make interpretations about the law. They just said what it meant. And so here's the thing, only rabbis Teachers had the authority and permission to make judgments and to give interpretation. The problem is, in order to become a rabbi, you had to sit under a rabbi. Jesus, in their view, could have never been a rabbi or a teacher because he's never sat under a rabbi. And so when they say he has authority, what they were saying is he has the authority and permission to make judgments, even judgments over demons. And they were amazed because who was this guy? And so here, Jesus, after the Holy Spirit had come upon him, shows that he indeed has dominion over even demons. And you know he, the people around him knew that the Holy Spirit had come upon him because now he had the authority and dominion to do. And then Mark has this whole section here of activity of Jesus. 
proving that he has authority and dominion over all things. Because the Holy Spirit had come upon him. Watch this. This is some crazy stuff. I mean, if you believe the Bible, you believe some crazy stuff. As soon as they left that synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her by the hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait. This is crazy. You know what I didn't learn about Jesus? That Jesus even cares for mother-in-laws. I don't know if my mom in law is watching right now, but love you. <laughs> no, but, but understand, the purpose of healing is to empower for service. That's the purpose of healing. Now, sometimes God heals miraculously. He does. Not all the time. And no one can all the time discern what his desire will be. But even when God steps in miraculously and heals somebody, eventually that person dies anyway. Right? So all healing at best earthly is temporary. But the reason why God steps in and does that miraculously is for the purpose of service. If, if we ask God to step in and miraculously heal only for the purpose of continuing to be selfish, that doesn't make any sense. This is crazy what Jesus does. Verses 32 and through 34. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed people. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many people with various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but they would not let, but he wouldn't let the demons speak because they knew uh, who he was. So again, Jesus continues to show dominion and authority over all things because the Holy Spirit had come upon him. It's the purpose of the Holy Spirit. When the Bible says they brought the whole town out, I mean, not everybody in the town was sick or possessed, you know. That'd be like, that'd be like Chowchilla. I don't know. It would just, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Chowchillans, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. More like Bakersfield. Anyway, it just, it just means that a lot of, and so when the Bible says that he healed many, it doesn't mean that some were unhealed. It just means there were many people there and he healed them. And, and then it goes on. It just keeps showing Jesus' dominion and authority over all things. And then a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant, not at the man, but at the dominion of sickness. And he reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Again, Jesus just showing his dominion and authority. Over all things. 1 John 3 8 says that the reason Jesus came was to destroy the devil's work. And he's showing it in the physical world right now with manifestations of healing, all kinds of stuff. Now, I want you to note something about this leper and see if this isn't true for me and for you. The leopard said, What did the le not leopard, what did the leper ask? What was the request? Huh? Make him clean to heal him. What does he say before, will you heal me? Okay, don't miss this. He says, if you're willing, you can do something. If you're willing, see, here's, here, here, see if this isn't true. Sometimes it's easier to believe in God's power than to believe in his mercy. Sometimes it's easier to believe, God, I know you can, but I doubt your mercy. 
I was thinking about this just last night. And this is what I decided. See, to doubt God's power is a lack of faith, but to doubt his mercy is a lack of love. And to trust his power and his mercy of God is to have faith in the love he has for you. Why is it that so many people like me and like us sit in the church and say, I believe God can, I believe God can have an overwhelming conviction in the power of God, but not nearly as much conviction in the mercy of God? What would change if we had an overwhelming conviction in the mercy of God who was all-powerful? Lepers would come to him. I also noticed this, and I talked to my staff about this this week. Did you ever notice, if you read the Bible carefully, pay attention to stuff, people didn't really ever come to Jesus to talk to him. You know what I'm saying? Like they never came to Jesus for counseling. They never said, hey, Jesus, I got something that's really on my mind, and I just need, I need you to walk, it, walk, walk me through it. I need some I need some advice. Just talk me through. If, if, if you just give me some I never see people leaving Jesus saying, okay, you know what? If we can just set an appointment for next week, if I have another about a 60-minute session with you, that'd be fantastic. And can we just establish that like once a month? For, just give me an hour once a month or something, just contact. Nobody ever came to Jesus asking for counseling. They came to Jesus looking for action. You understand what I'm saying? Y'all are looking at me like I'm talking in tongues. <laughs> here's, here's, here. uh, so this is what I thought. Why is it people come to the church to talk to pastors rather than going to Jesus for action? You understand what I'm saying? Now, not that I don't want to talk to any of you. I'll just let that statement be there for a while. I just, this, is, this is my thing. Like, I look at this Bible, and I think, I wonder if I'm doing it. I wonder if I'm doing it right. I wonder if we're doing it right. I just see here different. I mean, let's go on through the, through the book of Mark. Verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus was just, imagine for a moment. You're out in the wilderness 40 days, fasting, going through, going through Spiritual hell, just. And then you, you walk into this town and everybody who has an issue comes to see you. <laughs> and you work late into the night because they didn't come till after, the, after that Sabbath was over because they believed they couldn't do that. during. And so, so after the Sabbath, now they start coming to, and the whole, and all night long, People are on him. And very early in the morning, 
This is during the watch of night between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. That early, he gets up and he goes to a lonely place and prays. Now, I understand. When you and I have those types of days and those types of times at work and those types of weekends when you're just absolutely tired and burned out and exhausted and your back hurts and your head hurts and people are annoying and you're hungry and you're exhausted. The only thing I want to do is what? Sleep. Just give me eight uninterrupted hours, right? Jesus repeatedly has those days and the very thing he does the very next morning is get up before the crack of dawn while it's still dark so he can spend time with the Father. See, I wonder if the foundation of Jesus' authority came from his inclination to pray. And I wonder if his inclination to pray was the reason for the position of the Spirit upon him. Do you understand? Of all the things the disciples asked Jesus to do, there was only one thing. It wasn't how to walk on water. That would be a pretty cool party trick. It wasn't to multiply the fish and the loaves. That would, you know... For people who have huge appetites like my friend Jeff, that would be a great thing for him to learn how to do. Or my friend Sean. I mean, that would, you might out-eat a miracle of Jesus. I'm just saying. The only thing the disciples asked Jesus to do was to teach them how to pray. Because they knew that prayer was the key to everything else Jesus did. And they saw him model it at 3, 4, 5 in the morning uninterrupted. They wanted Jesus to teach them not the priority of prayer, but the practice of it. Because none of us would doubt the priority of prayer, would we? I mean, we're in church. We would say, oh no, it's important. So Jesus taught them. He said, I want you to learn a format, not a formula. Because this is a magic. And the format Jesus taught them Quite a while ago, I was convicted about this. So every morning in that third hour, I spend time going through my prayers according to this format to acknowledge the worth of God. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then agreeing with God's priorities and purposes. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then asking for our needs. Give us this day our daily bread. And asking for forgive us and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And then asking for protection. But lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then agreeing with God's position for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. It was the format of prayer. And perhaps Jesus' inclination to pray was the reason for the position of the Holy Spirit upon him. And this is how he said, friends... This is how you should pray. It's interesting to me that it is not often whatsoever when Jesus prayed late at night, though he did as a good Jew. They had evening prayers that they would always pray before they went to bed. And I can share those with you if you want to. I pray them every night before I go to bed. 
in the history and the context of, of, of ancient Jews praying to Adonai. And it's, it's amazing. But what I see in Jesus, his regular practice was not to spend time at night with God. It was to spend time in the morning in preparation. So as I look at Mark chapter 1 in this context, what I walk away with is a response of four things. Four ways we should respond to this Jesus. The first thing I think we need to do is to approach Jesus with expectation. We need to approach Jesus with expectation. We, we got to ask ourselves at some point, do I just want Jesus to listen to my complaints or do I want Jesus to take action on my behalf? I, I wonder how many times we just go to God with complaints, with information that he's already aware of, rather than going to him for action. Now, please understand, we cannot and dare not ever try to control nor manipulate Jesus' action. We cannot control the hand of God. But I don't often see Jesus act without being first moved by expectation of his people. Expectation is hugely important for the move of God in the life of his people. Here's what expectation is. Expectation is simply faith. And all faith is is acting like God's telling the truth. God has obligated himself to his word. He has not necessarily obligated himself to me or to you. He has obligated himself to his word. And we can expect him to be faithful to his word every time. And so in a response of approaching Jesus with expectation, the second thing we do is we ask greatly and do greatly. John 14, 11 through 13, the Bible says, Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of what I've done. I've told you who I am. You need to believe that I am the access point to the Father and the Father is fully alive in me. He says, but if you're not going to believe me because I told you so, at least believe me based on the miracles that I've done. It all authenticates my authority. Very truly I tell you, Jesus says, whoever believes in me, here it is, will do the works I have been doing. And they will do greater things than these. Why? Because I'm going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son for his kingdom, not ours. And the Bible says that when we make requests, we make requests in the name of Jesus. In other words, as Christ followers, we approach God on the authority of Jesus. And we have to approach God on the authority of Jesus because Jesus alone is sinless. And other than the prayer of forgiveness, God has not obligated himself to hear the prayer of a sinful person. So in Jesus' name, by his authority, we approach the throne of grace where we may find mercy and find grace to help us in a time of need, the Bible says. But those requests of God have got to be in line with his will. The Bible says that if we're sinful, God doesn't hear us. If we approach him on the authority of Jesus' name and his will, he does. Isaiah 59, your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you, so he won't hear you. So we can't approach him based on us. We've got to go because of who Jesus is and because of the authority and dominion that he has. 
The Bible says that we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We've got no right to approach him except through Christ. And because he has authority over all things, and he has authority to act in all things, he also has the authority to hear our requests and has the authority to grant response because of who he is. And he says, you better believe me because I've told you this, but if you don't believe me because of what I said, you believe me because of what I've done. Here's the thing. Did you know that every person who follows Jesus does so because of miracles? If you say you follow Jesus, you have to admit that you follow him simply because of miracles. Want me to prove it to you? It's the resurrection. The only reason we believe in God is because of the resurrection of Jesus. That was the greatest miracle. You understand? So to say, hey, don't get too wigged out about this whole like doing stuff because you got to believe Jesus just because he said it. That's baloney. Every person from the inception of Christianity at the death resurrection of Jesus has believed on God because of the greatest miracle of all, the resurrection. So why would he continue to convince people by what he continues to do through his people? Did you follow that? So Jesus, God gives us authority in accordance with the Father's plans for the Holy Spirit to come upon so that we can then do. So, as a result of that, according to what I read in the book of Mark, act with the authority over because you spent time with and have the Holy Spirit upon. So I, I think sometimes God's kids live with things that are not God's intent for some of God's kids to live with. Not all the time, but sometimes. Sometimes God's kids live with stuff that is not God's intent for his kids to live with. But if we're not spending time regularly with him like Jesus did, we won't know what is part of God's plan, even though it's difficult, and what was just part of a messed up, broken world. And if we don't know the difference because we've not spent time with God to have the Holy Spirit upon us, we're forced to make guesses, and we're forced to ask other people to pray to God on our behalf and see how it turns out. Does that not sound like church? I'm just saying when I look at this, it looks different. I wonder how many of us kids have asked the Holy Spirit, reveal to me the Father's plans. Holy Spirit, I want to know the Father's desire. Everything I walk in today, I want to know ahead of time what the Father's desire is. And move into that with authority, with the Holy Spirit upon. The last thing is this. As I read the book of Mark, this is what I see in chapter 1. Man, to acknowledge Jesus to people. I see this in the life of that leper. Mark 1, verse 45. Jesus said, look, I just healed you. Don't go tell nobody about it because I don't want to go public yet. Like, don't put me on Insta, Face. Don't post on, on don't put it out on the line. Don't just, just keep it quiet for a minute. And what did the old guy do? He immediately went out and started talking freely. About what? About Jesus. See, here's the thing, and here's what I want to say. We can't just acknowledge the activity of. 
We have to acknowledge the God who. It's one thing to say, yeah, I'm better. It's something different to say the difference was Jesus. This is one of the most important lessons that we can learn, and I'm going to finish up with this. If you have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus, God has given his angels charge over you. If you have a relationship with Jesus through faith, with God through Jesus in faith, God has given his angels charge over you. The Bible says in Hebrews 1.14, are not, uh, pay attention to this, this is huge right here, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who are in salvation? It says, haven't the angels been created to serve those of us who have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus who are going to inherit salvation? That's the angel's job and responsibility. That's their purpose for their existence is to serve those of us to come to our aid to help us to enter into our lives in the real world and give us help. Here's the problem. Angels only do what they're commanded to do by the Father. There's no such thing as a rogue angel. There's no reason that anyone has, the, has any responsibility to pray to an angel. You don't do that. Angels only function at the command of the commander-in-chief who is God. So if the angels purpose for existing is to aid you who are have a relationship with Jesus but they only do that at the command of God on your behalf here's the question how do you get an angel activated in your life if angels from God leave heaven and enter your world and help you don't you want that to happen if they do that only at the command of God the question is how do you then activate an angel's action in your life you know how? I like the church answers. I'm not going to deny church answers. But those are not biblical answers. It's not through prayer. Angels are not activated in your life through prayer. Sounds good, sounds churchy, I understand. But it's not biblical. So the way you get angels activated in your life, according to the Bible... I tell you, Jesus says, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will acknowledge where? Before the angels in heaven. Not through prayer, not through being good, not through doing stuff, but by publicly acknowledging Jesus out loud before people. To acknowledge means to declare Openly means to speak out freely, means to go public in front of real human people. This is so important for us to understand. If we are not declaring Jesus openly before other people, in front of other people, Jesus is under no obligation to release angels to your aid. Pray all you want. I'm just trying to understand what the Bible says. Christianity was never meant to be a silent faith. Christ's followers are never meant to be quiet, passive, nor fearful. You don't got to be belligerent, but you do got to go public. What's at stake is our experience of the power of God in our lives. What's at stake is the experience of the presence of the Holy Spirit upon your life. What's at stake is the manifestation of angels to your aid. I don't know what this looks like for you. I just know what it looks like for me. 
And only you know if you're going public on a regular basis, out loud with your faith in front of real human people. I know what it looks like for me. And I don't want to condemn the less vocal. I do want to encourage more vocal. Here's what it looks like for me. I'm just going to be a little snapshot. And then I'll be done. We're sitting around the coach's table before football season. And the, the issue came up of the COVID shot. And the question was asked, do you need, are you going to get the COVID shot to coach? Uh, and, uh, and one of the coaches said, well, I don't care I'm about the COVID shot for coaching. I just don't want to die. I'll just get it so I don't die. And I said, that's great. If that's, if that's what you want, that's fine. I told them in front of the coaches, I said, I don't care about dying. Uh, I, I know Jesus. And I'm good with seeing him face to face. I just want to coach football. <laughs> so if I got to get the shot to coach football, I'm fine with that. I don't care. Dying's fine. And I told her, I said, you need to, we need to have a conversation. It's just an acknowledgement about Jesus. Do you understand? There's another game. Most of us coaches are on headsets. So we can hear each other, talk to each other, talking back and forth. And, and this one game this year, it, it wasn't going particularly well for a moment. And I don't know if you've ever been around most coaches, but most coaches, sometimes when they're stressed, sometimes they say words that aren't in the Bible. <laughs> And sometimes they say uh, names in the Bible like Jesus and God, but they add other things to it that makes it not Bible. And this one coach was just going off. I mean, it was just ever like, bah. And so on, on the headsets, all the coaches can hear me who have, got, have the headsets on. I said, hey, hey, I need to ask you, watch your language. Clean that up. And he's like, oh, yeah, Sorry. I said, that's okay, but can, let me just ask you this. If you need to use a name other than Jesus or God, use like Joseph Smith or Buddha or Muhammad or something like that, just not Jesus. He's like, oh, yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. And I, tell, I, so I said, hey, I, I, I don't mean to like dish you, but I just have a lot more respect for Jesus and his name than I have respect for you. Right? So the next day of practice, he walks up to me. Says, hey, coach, uh, I just need to apologize. I got a real problem with that. I said, yeah, you do. Let's talk about it. I don't know what it looks like for you to acknowledge God before. I just know what it looks like for me. I'm going to do it. The last game of our season, we're in Chowchilla. And I love this about our head coach, Nolte. He always, he allows prayer in the public square. You know what I'm saying? Like he doesn't shy away from that as long as someone else is doing it. He's fine with it. And so he always asked me to pray for the team, and I love it. And so this last game, I got the team together. Coaches, the players are on their knees, helmets off, coaches are standing around. And this is what I said. I thought, I'm going to take a moment here. And I told the team, I said, I want you guys to realize something. We were tested every week for COVID. And if there had been one positive test, we're shut down. We had five games lined up. All of our opponents were tested for COVID. If any of they showed positive, we're shut down. That's what I told him. I said, I want you to realize something. You're playing football this season because of the grace of God. We weren't touched by COVID in our team. Nor were any of our opponents. Now, they were when they played other teams, but not when they were playing us. I told him, I said, I want you to realize it's by the grace of God who loves you that you're playing football tonight. And I told him, I said, I believe Jesus wants you to play football really well and go beat Chowchilla. So let's pray. You know, 
I don't know what it looks like for you. I know what it looks like for me. And I will profess him publicly, even before coaches on headsets and even at team prayers, wherever I'm. Why? Because I love him and because I want. Here's what happens. We're in need in heaven and angels are on the edge of heaven, ready to come down. And the angels say, God, cut me loose because he needs me right now. And she needs me right now. And I got what they need. And I can step into their world and help them right now. Let me go. Give me the word. And Jesus says back and he says, stand down. They've not acknowledged me. And the angel steps back. Says, you're on your own. And so I will declare Christ in every venue I have the opportunity because I know that I have needs. And I know that my angel is ready right now to step into my life and my family and bring aid to me who is inheriting salvation. And all I got to do is open my mouth and Jesus says, go now. Do you understand what I'm saying? As I look at the book of Mark right now, I see this expect greatly of God. Ask big and do big. Spend time with him so that the Holy Spirit comes upon and you have authority over. And speak. If you're a Christ follower, speak. If you haven't made up your mind yet, let me introduce you to him. That would be my pleasure. And I guarantee you, because of what the Bible says, that you will see heaven open and angels ascending and descending in and on your life through Jesus, who has authority and has dominion over all things. And the best thing we can do in response to all of this is simply in this place, raise a hallelujah for who God is and what he has done. Pray with me, Father, thank you that you have loved us with an everlasting love. Thank you that you will never not love us. Thank you, Father, that you have chosen to enter our reality. Thank you, Father, that you have given us permission by you and your presence in and on our lives to have authority over those things that are not part of your will and not part of your kingdom. Father, I ask in this moment that for those of us who trust you and who love you would open our mouths in confession of you, that we would not live in silence, that we would not live in, in, in trepidation, that we would not live in timidity, but we would with the authority of the kingdom of heaven behind us move out into a world and talk about you. Father, I ask on behalf of those who don't yet know you yet, who haven't yet chosen to put their trust in you, that you just continue to speak to them, that you continue to draw them to you. I pray that they would continue to seek you out, lead them to you. In this moment, Father, in the presence of each other, in the presence of the angels and even the demons that are watching, we just simply in this moment raise a hallelujah. Amen.